The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Look at God and disappointment. And uh, I want to suggest to you that for me, this is probably the trickiest one of all of them. I've been preaching about God and judgment last Sunday with a whole bunch of visitors. That was pretty tricky. But this, this is kind of, I'm, I found it so much harder and trickier. Because with the other stuff, suffering, discipline, judgment, they're difficult. But at one level, we expect them to be difficult. And we kind of, we, we prepare ourselves spiritually because we know it's going to be hard. We know those things will challenge our faith. And we'll, we know that they have the potential to really rock our foundation. So we're kind of forearmed and for, you know, prepared for that. But this one, disappointment, is a, is a lot more subtle. And it can creep into our hearts lots of different ways. And it's like decay that kind of erodes away at our faith. And so I think this, this one's a lot more challenging because um, we can come to church week in, week out and be kind of carrying the effects of this decay inside of us and gradually drift from God um, and our faith gets cold and our hearts grow cold. And for me personally, this is a difficult uh, message to preach, probably the hardest out of all of them, Mainly because recently we've been going through a lot of personal disappointments as a family and and just a whole bunch of different things that have been going on for us and trying to, for me to wrap my head around God's goodness and kind of trusting God in the midst of all of that has been difficult. And I haven't worked it out and I haven't figured it all out and I'm not on the other side of it here saying to you, I've made it through, come with me, I, I wish I could. I'm here to say I'm still working it out and... So the stuff that I'm preaching today, I'm in a lot of ways preaching to myself. So it's hard for that reason. It's also hard because in the course of this message, we're going to be maybe touching on some raw nerves for you. Things that are still real for you and things that you're still working through. Or maybe you've kind of put in the background somewhere or kind of glossed over and today it's going to be like me poking those things again and, you know there might be some bleeding that results. But uh, my prayer, my hope is that as we journey through this message, this book, that God will be at work and bring great healing to our hearts in the midst of all of that. So this message is to anyone who feels like they've been dealt a, a hard hand, using that metaphor, dealt some bad cards, or... You know, being life has thrown you some lemons, and as the saying goes, when you get thrown lemons, make lemonade. What if you don't like lemonade? Yeah. <laughs> and some of you are in that place. You've had lemons, and you're going, lemonade. I had that too. So what do I do with that now? When life hasn't worked out the way you thought it would, and you're sitting there thinking it wasn't supposed to be this way. This wasn't how the story was meant to go. And you can't make sense of that. It's for you. It's a message or for us who's still trying to understand God's goodness and how to trust Him when life has thrown curveballs that we don't really know how to hit back. And maybe it's because you didn't get the marks that you really thought you would or you didn't get the promotion you were really going for or the job that you were expecting to get or 
Maybe you're not married like you thought you would be or you, didn't, you don't have kids like you thought you might or the, the child that you do have has come with a whole bunch of challenges and that's not how it was supposed to go. Or your marriage isn't the joyful, abundant, wonderful experience Christian marriage is supposed to be and you're trying to make sense of that and, you know, or you're carrying a, a long-term illness that you thought you'd have been healed of by now or you're still in debt and you're thinking, God, it wasn't supposed to be this way. And you're still there in the midst of it and you're disappointed. Or maybe you're even more than that. You're in despair. And so our journey this morning is in the book of Habakkuk. Now again, I looked up how to say this. Most of us say Habakkuk, but apparently that's the most wrong way to say it. (laughs) So Habakkuk is the more correct English way to say it. If you were Jewish, you'd probably say something like Habakkuk. Let's try saying that, Habakkuk. Because there's no B in, in Hebrew. It's a V sound. However you want to say it, that's who we're talking about. And, I, and I, we, we sent out a, a heads up for you to read this book because it's three chapters and we didn't want to spend a chunk of time this morning reading. And I hope that you did do that because if you have, you'll get a lot more out of this message than if you're just kind of jumping in here. If you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, um, there's a couple in the back. Feel free to grab them as we journey through and you can kind of follow along. And this book, just to set some historical context, is happening in the 5th and 6th century BC. It's the historical events. Uh, Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah, uh, Zephaniah, and uh, um, Nahum was also prophesying and ministering at the same time. Uh, It's around the time of King Josiah and King Jehoiakim. Um, That's where it's happening in Israel's history. And you can find those accounts at the end of 2 Kings and end of 2 Chronicles. It's just before the fall of Israel. Um, Babylon had just defeated Egypt in 605 BC and now they were on the move to Israel uh, or Judah Um, and they were a a real threat um, to Israel. So that's kind of the historical context. Um, A lot of commentators read this book and I, I, I see it as a concise version of Job. Um, and when, if, you, if you read it through, you probably had that same sense. Hey, this sounds a lot like Job, but only in three chapters. Um, with a very different kind of ending. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. And this book reads like a conversation between God and Habakkuk. And we're going to jump into this conversation and explore it by looking at some questions that kind of summarize this conversation. Um, And so let me pray and we'll just jump into it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it can speak into every situation uh, that we find ourselves in. Um, And I pray that your word will speak into our disappointments, speak into our despair, speak into maybe places that are just hopeless. Uh, We ask for your encouragement and your healing. Uh, Lord, for you to strengthen us in our faith in the midst of the mess of life. That, Lord, we would be more secure. In you, our loving God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So jumping in, Habakkuk chapter 1, we come to our first question that Habakkuk brings before God. How long, Lord, must I call for help? How long? And maybe your disappointment has arisen out of just that question. How long, God, do I have to wait for whatever to happen? When, God, when will this happen? And for Habakkuk, it was looking at 
Israel, it was a, a big picture. He's looking at his nation. He's looking at what's happening in his country. And, uh, and yet those events are going to affect him personally too. So as we come to this text, I want you to have that broad view. Maybe you're looking at the nation of Australia and going, how long, God, are we going to be in this? Or you're looking at global events and you're thinking, God, how long is this going to go on like this? Or maybe you're looking at your life individually going, how long, God? How long? And he's wrestling because Josiah's reign brought incredible reform to Israel, incredible blessing. He brought Israel back from idolatry and pagan worship and brought them to a covenant faithfulness and God just blessed them. And now the next king, Jehoiakim, has just completely reversed that. And there's injustice and corruption and violence. And he's saying, God, how long before you bring revival back to Israel again? How long, God? And what Habakkuk finds is that God seems distant. He seems inactive, disinterested. He seems indifferent to what's going on in Israel. And that can be greatly disappointing and discouraging. It reminds me of the story of Mary and Martha when Lazarus died. And they tell Jesus, the one you love is sick. And Jesus stays longer. And you just go, what is going on with that? God just seems not to care. And maybe you've, you've wrestled with that. And so Habakkuk comes and says, how long, Lord? How long do I have to call for help? Maybe you've prayed this. How long, God, do I have to pray this way? But you don't listen. Oh, and I cry out to him. That second word there, the first one is to call for help. The second is this desperate, pleading cry or cry out to you. Violence, but you do not save. You do not save. And he talks about the stuff that's going on all around him, the mess. And he, he's saying, God, don't you care? Don't you see? Why are you so inactive? Why are you indifferent? And then we come to God's response, his first response. Verse 5, God responds, I guess summarizing how God responds with this question, can you understand my ways? That's kind of what God says to Habakkuk here. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Now, let's just pause there. Think about the situation and scenario that you found yourself in. Now, imagine you had that conversation with God and God comes to you and says, you know what? I've got you. Don't worry. I've, I've got a plan. I've sorted it out. And it is going to be mind-blowing. It is going to be awesome. It is going to be so amazing that you're not going to believe it. How would you feel? You'd be going, all right, bring it on. God, that's pretty pumped. Ready? Come on. And then God goes on, unlike for many of us, to actually tell Habakkuk what the plan is. And he says he's going to bring Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to bring Babylon. To bring judgment on Israel. He's going to use the most wicked people at the time to bring reformation into his nation. God says, look, I, I know. God doesn't make any pretenses. He, he, he says, these guys are like a horde. They're, they're, their cavalry gallops headlong. Verse 8, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, sweeping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. God's not pulling any punches about how bad this plan is. And so 
naturally Habakkuk responds as we would. How can that be good, God? How, how can that be good? Come on, God. This can't be your best plan, surely. This does not make any sense with the God I know. So his response in verse 12 is, Lord, covenant name for God. Are you not from everlasting? Aren't you the most powerful being that's ever been? My God, my God, my personal God, my holy one. You will never die. You're the eternal God, the immortal God, the holy. He's calling into mind all the things that he knows about this God. And he says, I can't reconcile those two things, God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, verse 13. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Then here's the question. Why then this plan? Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk is wrestling with his doubts. He's, he's really struggling to make sense of this. God was right. You're, he, he's in disbelief. He's like, I, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. You see, this, this prophet speaks to everyone who's really wanted a child and had a miscarriage. This prophet speaks to everyone who wanted to be married and, and finally found a guy and he turns out to be a jerk or find, finds a girl and they turn out to be the most horrible people. Or everyone who desperately wanted to be married and then their spouse is unfaithful to them. And you go, God, how does this work? How, how can this be good? I can't make any sense of this. I don't understand this. It's to everyone who's been hurt in church who was betrayed and treated badly before they were Christians, and then they become Christians, and they come to church, and they experience more horrible things. Or they, their kids were abused by someone in the church. How can that be good, God? Habakkuk speaks to all of us who've been through things like that. But you notice... He's not in a place of bitterness. Because see, this reality is going to affect him. It, it may mean that he's going to end up in exile himself. Many others did, like Jeremiah. It may mean his family may get killed in the process of this invasion. He may end up losing his life. How can this be good, God? How is this your best plan for us, for me? I don't understand. And he says, verse 1 in chapter 2, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts and I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He, he wants to continue the conversation. He, he's not in rebellion. He, his unbelief or his disbelief has not caused him to reject God. He's saying to God, come on, God, at least give me an explanation. Help me understand how this makes any sense. Help me process. Help me work out how this is consistent with the God that I know because th what you're telling me seems completely inconsistent with who I know you to be. 
help me understand. Help, help me make sense of this in light of who I know you to be. And so God's response comes in the form of uh, another question that I've summarized as, do you trust me? Do you trust me? See, Habakkuk wanted an explanation, but explanations will only take us so far until a better explanation or another explanation undoes the previous one. But what God gives Habakkuk is not an explanation. It's a revelation of himself. And that's how this account parallels Job so powerfully. Because Job, there's a lot more chapters in between in that conversation. But God gets Job to that same point of giving him a revelation. And in the middle of this oracle, God makes these three incredible promises that help this prophet journey from despair and disappointment to to hope and trust and security in the love of God. And God reminds him that it's not just about the here and now. He says, write down this revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. In other words, make it really clear what I'm saying so that other people will know. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. You see, God exists out of time. He's eternal, as Habakkuk said about God. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And then God goes on to, in this, the, the rest of the chapter, describe how he is going to hold Babylon accountable for every one of their sins. To remind Habakkuk that he has not forgotten. And it's not that God has missed something. But that he knows. In detail, he, he, he rebukes them for their extortion, for their greed, for their pride, for their exploitation, for their injustice, for their drunkenness, for their violence, for their idolatry. All the things that Babylon was renowned for that in Habakkuk's mind would be like, God, how can you use them? And God's saying, I know. And I will hold them accountable. And then there are these three incredible promises scattered throughout this oracle. In verse 4 comes the first one. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. This is a call for Habakkuk to, to trust completely in God's goodness and his grace to save him no matter what. To be faithful to believe in this God, in Yahweh God, the covenant-keeping God, no matter what circumstances he faces, because he will have this assurance that this God will save him, that he will live no matter what happens. He will live by his faith. Will you trust in my grace to save you by faith? That's what God asks. Verse 14, God says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's question to Habakkuk is, you know, will you trust in my ability to fulfill my purpose? Do you trust that I'm able to, to do what I promised that I would do? One day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, Habakkuk, do you believe that I can do that? Do you believe that I am faithful to my word to keep my promise, that I am the covenant-keeping Yahweh God that you've always known? Do you believe in me? That even though present circumstances don't show you that, do you trust me to actually 
fulfill my word. In verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is a call for Habakkuk to trust in God's sovereignty. He says to Habakkuk, I'm still on the throne, Habakkuk. I'm still on the throne. Do, do you trust me no matter what happens? What lemons you get thrown, what curveballs you get thrown, no matter what circumstances you face, do you trust that I'm still in control in the midst of all of that? The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So Habakkuk's response is chapter 3 when he says, in effect, yes, I will trust you. I will trust you. And we see in this last chapter such profound statements of faith coming from Habakkuk's mouth that I, I think will really speak to us as we conclude this series, not just for today's message, but in light of all of the messages in this series. This is kind of the capstone, the, the last word of living in the light of brokenness and mess and questions that we may never get answered this side of glory. Verse 2 is very reminiscent of how Job responded on the other side of his revelation. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Job said this when he encountered God. Put that up, Russell. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I have heard of your fame, God, and I stand in awe of your deeds. I throw myself down in the dust. And then his first statement of faith, his first act of faith, he prays. He prays in the midst of impending disaster and doom. He says, repeat them, God. These deeds that I stand in awe of, these deeds I know you, you've done in the past, will you repeat them in our day? In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. You see, Habakkuk is not fatalistic like many say, you know, let the will of God be done. He knows what's coming and yet he's praying, God, I believe that you can still change present circumstances. Will you do it in our day like you've done it in the past? He's not given up on God, given up on God's ability to change present reality. And the first thing I want to suggest to us in the midst of your disappointment and heartache, don't give up on God's ability to change your present circumstance. Keep believing, keep praying. Do it again. Do it again, God, in our time, in our day. Repeat them. He prays. He prays. The second thing he does is he, he remembers, he, he recalls, he, he meditates for a whole bunch of verses, from verses 3 all the way to verse 15. He remembers God's faithfulness in the past. He remembers the exodus. He remembers how God fought for Israel in the desert. He remembers how God parted the Red Sea. He remembers how God parts Jordan and takes them into the promised land. He remembers, 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 recalls, meditates on God's faithfulness in the past. In the midst of your disappointment, there's something so profoundly powerful in re remembering, bringing to mind how God has worked in your life in the past. His faithfulness, His goodness, His intervention. Because it encourages you. Because it reminds you that it's the same God. And then you can pray, God, do it again. 
Do it again in our day. Do it again in my time. Do it again in this situation, in this circumstance. He remembers. And then verse 16 to the end are probably some of the richest verses you'll find in all of the Bible. So human, so real, and yet so profound. He says in verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Here's that phrase I mentioned before, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. You see, he, he's still aware that Babylon is coming and it's going to be horrendous. And that awareness is terrifying him. That There's no Christian triumphalism here. There's no wishful positive thinking. There's no, you know, speak to your feelings and they'll go away. It's like his feelings are still there. He's terrified. But then there's this word yet. Yet I will patiently wait for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He waits in the midst of his feelings of doubt, uncertainty, terror, anxiety, whatever it is. See, sometimes our feelings take a long time to catch up to the revelation that we know in our heart to be true. And I've been there. I've been preaching this to myself and I know it in my head and I know it in my heart, but my emotions and my feelings are still to catch up. And he says, yet I will wait patiently for your day, Lord. I will wait patiently for you to do your work. For that day that I know is coming because you promised it is. And then verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the soil. See, he's remembering that that was part of the covenant blessing for obedience, the abundance of God's provision in the promised land. And they are not living in the reality of that. He's saying, God, I'm looking all around me and I don't see any evidence of your blessing. And then there's another yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. You see, again, Habakkuk's profession of faith has not changed his circumstances. It's changed him. He's different. And he's able to say, yet I will rejoice. My circumstances haven't changed. As I look around and as I consider what's to come, I'm I'm terrified and it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. And yet I will sing in the midst of the night because you are still Lord, covenant faithfulness name again. I will be joyful in God, my Savior, personal revelation, my Savior. And so he rejoices. He sings in the middle of the night. He praises. He affirms his trust in God being faithful and his Redeemer. And verse 19, he relies on God. He says, the sovereign Lord, the almighty God, the, the, the powerful covenant-keeping God is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. You see, 
And that's why I love Habakkuk. Because see, Job ends with everything being reversed. And so many people read Job and go, yeah, well, it was okay for Job to go through a hard time because he got double in the end. You know, he got a new wife, upgraded, model 2.0. He got lots of kids and, you know, God blessed him double. So, you know, you know, if I'm going to go through some difficult disappointments, well, that's okay if I get the pot of gold at the end. But a Habakkuk gets a pot of coal at the end. There's nothing at the end of that rainbow but more pain and grief. Exile, death, destruction. It's awesome. And he says, I will rely. I will draw strength because it's going to be hard. Being single is going to be hard. Being childless is going to be hard. Paying off this debt is going to be hard. Not getting that job and having the bully getting that job is going to be so hard. I'm going to need your strength, God. I'm going to have to rely on you. That's the only thing that's going to get me out of the valley of disappointment and put me on the mountain tops of security. I can't do this. It's not in my own strength. It's not in my own ability. And he relies on God. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.